Hello and welcome to another edition of Scare Traducing, the horror podcast that is serious about series. I'm Cal McNabb. And I'm Gisela Martinez. Martinez. And we are here today to start a new mini-series. We are starting the films of Hannibal Lecter, yes. which is an odd mini-series. It's, you know, all different directors, all different books and all this sort of nonsense. We're not doing the TV series, it's films only. Good, because, oh my god, because Callum is obsessed with that. Bring back Hannibal. Yes, save and Hannibal. And all that stuff. Bring but... back Hamster Hannibal season four. Yeah, hashtag not my Hannibal. <laughs> exactly. Like, so I will, and I probably will talk about it a little bit in this episode, oh god, yeah. simply because it does cover this storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll try and get it all out of the way, because we're going to do this storyline twice. It's obviously the famous Red Dragon story, which was, you know, a massive success at the box office. Um, not at the box office, a massive success as a book, which caused it to be adapted into a film and tanked at the box office, first time around at least. We are obviously talking the 1986 Michael Mann crime thriller, psychological horror, Manhunter. Mm. And... I feel like some people would classify, certainly, maybe not the franchise as a whole, but certainly this film, not as a horror film. Uh, I know people have argued the same for the next film, which is Sands of the Lambs. I disagree. I think they are horror films just because they're about basically internalised horror of the mind and like broken people. Doesn't mean that it's not horror films. It's also about a man who eats people and people who kill families. (laughs) Um, and I think Hannibal involves child abuse in some way. Yeah, the t- yeah the not the TV series, the, the the actual film Hannibal. So we get we do have all these sort of you know dark themes at play. I class it as a horror film. Certainly, the, the Sands of the Lambs is a horror film. So I'm willing to bypass or you know paper over any cracks. Oh my god, we're already start. Like I I'm just here looking at you like rumbling around. <laughs> Right, okay, well, I'll move on. But That's I right. class it as a horror film. The other thing I would like to say is a couple of things. The other thing is more than one thing. <laughs> um, first of all, in our last episode, our last miniseries when we did The Omen, mm-hmm. I said to you that I was always just aware of The Omen, you know, when I was a kid. Yeah. It was one of those films my dad talked about. He talked about Psycho, we talked about The Omen, and he just... just you know, mentioned them in past in certain scenes that happened in them or films that he'd seen at the cinema or whatever. This is another one of those. And I've noticed they all seem to be like dark films. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I remember my dad telling me about the oh a famous wheelchair sequence. Sorry, I don't know okay, what. Okay, on fire. The wheelchair on fire. Yeah. I remember being not very young. <laughs> But certainly young enough to not be able to watch this, but know that that, that happened in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was aware of the title Manhunter, and you know I'd seen the cover with uh, Francis Dollarhide with the you know the stocking halfway over his head. I just that's just something that exists from oh. a relatively young age of me being aware that there is this film. Well, for me, yeah, it was Cannibal. Just the name. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it, I don't know if I was aware that it was Hannibal the Cannibal, or yeah, if Hannibal yeah. sounds like Cannibal. Yeah, Hannibal does sound like Cannibal. Yeah, so hence the, yeah. I just I just remember being aware. Oh, Hannibal! Mm-hmm. It's people, but I don't know if it's because of the movies, the books, or whatever. Right. 
but you don't know when you were first aware of Hannibal Lecter as a thing that existed in you know. I, I, cultural I don't, society. but I know I know the mask. I know the scene of the mask, like he has a mask on hmm. and it looks so creepy. Right. I, I know that much. Right, but when see, I was here's a kid. the thing as well. We're gonna to get to it as we go on. Um but I the, the the final film that has been made in this franchise is two thousand and seven, I believe, Hannibal Rising, which is a prequel set when he is like Hannibal Lecter is like a teenager or a young adult. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I have heard people talk about and the poster certainly has Hannibal Lecter with the mask on mm-hmm. and that it has some sort of backstory explanation for the mask. But that that doesn't make sense. Yeah, because, because that's after. The, yeah. And the the only reason they give him the mask is because They're, he's being transported and he, and he likes like, to bite people. Bite. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I don't like the the mask has entered. You know, it's like another thing. It's just entered cultural society. Like people see the mask and like, oh, that's Hannibal Lecter's mask. But it's not really Hannibal Lecter's mask. It's the prison's mask that they put on him to stop him. Yeah, but they on made people. it for him because it's not like another. Like, yeah, no, but the, po- the point the is, we're going to get to a film in this franchise which goes, oh, when he was a teenager, he had that mask. And you're like, why did yeah. he have that mask? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But anyway, he does not have the mask in this film. The mask is Sands of the Lambs. That's the next one. That is not Manhunter. Mm-hmm. So we're talking Manhunter, 1986. And another reason I'm excited to do this franchise, I think over the last 58 episodes, so this is episode 51, folks. Starting a new era. Mm. <laughs> I think wow. something we've kind of unintentionally noticed. So, we've been covering horror franchises. And unintentionally have, I think there's not much research going into them and not much commentary of the themes or whatever. Yeah. But we've noticed, I think especially with the, the Omen this came up, as horror films go on, they resist change they like to repeat what has already worked before yeah and milk it dry you know until there's no money out of it and usually when changes are introduced that's when you and me start to actually like them again mm-hmm. so i'm thinking things like bride of chucky seed of chucky yeah which go way oh campier God, yeah. than the three before it it's crazy i'm thinking paranormal activity the marked ones which takes Love it in a completely one. new, you know, it's now in, you know, uh, LA, Mexican society, but also introduces more spiritual things with it. And then it has a weird time travel aspect. That's not explored in any of the previous movies. And we both love it. So uh, good. I don't know about your opinions on Suspiria, but I like, I really like the new Suspiria. Completely different. It involved dance for a start, which the original but- one didn't. Well, I mean, is only two movies. It is only two movies. It's not like uh, they stuck with something and but, something and something, repeat it, and no, then do something no, like... No, true. But what I'm saying is when, you know, changes are made, that's when I seem to go, oh, okay, I can like the first one, but there's no need for a second one to exist or a third one to exist doing the same. By the way, Legally Blonde 3 is happening, so... Books, I feel like, don't have the same... Um, fallback they don't have the same safety net books have to evolve mm-hmm. you know they have to have a new story and a new evolution of the character where films we don't really seem to have had that problem pet cemetery 2 is exactly the same as pet cemetery 1 just new characters yeah etc etc you know we've cut we've 
that's when I think we've uncovered this theme of going by accident, just by covering films, and we've just constantly kept saying, it's the same as the first one. Um, and I feel like we both respect it when it goes, oh, okay, it's at least different. Yeah. Uh, so this is the franchise which is going to be different because they are all based on novels. Mm-hmm. So the storyline is different. That's my personal opinion. Maybe someone out there is thinking, no, books can be the same. It's just the same shit every time. But I feel like they, they, can't, they can't quite do that. So the first one is Red Dragon. It's released in 1981. You're talking about the book. The book, yes. Yeah, 1981. Huge success. I have never read it. You've never read it. No. But I would really like to read it. But yes, massive success. And this is the first time that Hannibal Lecter is, you know, released into society. And then he is adapted into a film in 1986 by Michael Mann. It's called Manhunter. The reason it's called Manhunter is that... It's to do with the rights. The, no, it's not the rights. It's the De Laurentiis company who produced it didn't like the fact that it had dragon in the title. They didn't want it to be confused for being a kung fu movie. <laughs> and they had also released a film called Year of the Dragon by Michael Cimino, I think his name is. He produced, you know, he made the deer hunter and stuff. He had made that film a year before and it had bombed. And so... Do you know De Laurentiis had assumed, no, we can't have Dragon in the title. It'll either bomb or people will uh, mistake it for a kung fu movie. So we're calling it Manhunter. Michael Mann, the director, and Brian Cox, who plays uh, Hannibal Lecter in this, not fans of the new title. But anyway, they made a movie in the call like that. Yeah, I don't know. Do you prefer Manhunter or do you prefer Red Dragon? I like Red, Red Dragon. I actually prefer Red Dragon as a title as well. But anyway, that's us rambling. So the film... Your score out of 10 before we go into spoiler territory, please. Um, I will give it a 5. 5 out of 10? Mm-hmm. That is low. This film, I mean, this film bombed when it first came out and the reviews were a bit eh. But over, you know, the last few years, it has had quite a resurgence of people going like, oh, it's maybe the best or second best Hannibal Lecter thing. Oh, really? Yeah, people love this okay, film. Okay, so... Please explain to back up my score. score, I will say, and I said to you, I just thought I was watching a meme movie. A Be- what? A meme. Right. Because it's 80s. It's the 80s. Mm-hmm. And, okay, and all the stereotypes about the 80s. It's, uh, the 80s, I don't like that decade. I don't know why. I avoid movies. I avoid music from the 80s. And I don't this is just not my thing. And when I see something about the 80s, it's normally like Saturday Night Live and things like that. They make fun with the puffy jacket, the hair, the music, the acting. It's so over the top and so weird. And this this is what this movie is, basically. And I know it, it's supposed to, it's, that's what it is. What all these things that I know are making fun of but that's what it is that's what if i will be living in the 80s i will be like wow okay I, this is my it's my normal i i was just watching it like uh, just trying, like laughing in some parts and i was like i shouldn't be laughing but that's my reference and right. i couldn't take that away from my you know experience yeah How, right okay but i would say but you like things which are 80s pastiche or 80s, you know, repackaged. Like, you like Stranger Things. 
which is supposed to represent 80s visual style yeah but i mean that's not like a horror movie it's more like a banter like it's the same same style no but it's the same sort of language you like pop me like you just said you don't like music but you like some songs dua lipa's for example new album i don't like dua lipa new album oh really it's just too disco thing i don't like this you know like there must be someone out there who has repackaged the 80s like for example you love that Perm song by Bruno Mars. I think it's a song. Oh, I hate that song. It's a perm. Um, Bruno Mars. Part? Yeah, but that's not like it's that's not more that... like a James Brown sort of thing. Well, I don't like that kind of style. I don't know. Like Stranger Things is different because I'm seeing it and then it's quite new. Uh huh. Yeah, like you said, like like repackaging. But it's not that. new. That's the point. That's no, what it gets criticized no. for more than anything is that it's just taking stuff from the '80s and just redoing it again. Oh, but I like that. Like, that's what I'm saying but then when like... you get the original thing you oh, say no, oh no because it's so bad like it's, 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 it's it has a style it has a vibe right but I don't know for I me I okay, don't know okay fine I'm, I'm fine I'm just I'm, I'm interested in your views on it because we have tried to say before or I don't know about you I've, I know I've said before where people hate sincerity in movies mm-hmm. we're now part of this ironic or at least post ironic generation where everything needs to be mocked and deconstructed and looked at as like oh my god it's x y and z and it's this and it's that and laughed at and mm-hmm. turned into a meme etc etc you can't just accept and watch something and take it at I, face I value for what it is manhunter is an 80s movie produced by michael mann heavily stylized like you know 80s wear oh god and even if it bombed you don't get uh, the x files the way that you do without this film you don't get csi the way that you do without this, but like two huge things. This is the first time that you know criminals have been looked at as to be profiled. I, I, I get your point. I get your point. But like, imagine me watching this when I was probably ten. I will be like, fair enough. Right now, my 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 brain is already fucked. Like, I I I, I don't know. I just I was into the movie. Yeah. But in some parts, I was like. Oh my god, the hair! Oh my god, the shoes! Oh my god! Oh my god, the music! Oh my god, what you doing? But like, why would you? Uh, what, like, okay, maybe the music, because like, the music's gonna, the music is gonna be noticeable. But why would the the hair and the shoes bother you? I don't know. I was just looking at that. I wasn't looking at the um, the things that were happening. I was just looking at like, <laughs> oh, the puffy jacket. I remember an uncle having that. Just thinking about things like that. <laughs> That's what I mean. So you can't, you can't separate yourself. And your own Ooh. thoughts on the eighties from stuff that is actually from Pro, the eighties. I'm saying my brain is fucked, probably. Yeah, That's maybe if I go to a cinema yeah. where nothing is distracting, distracting me, maybe. But I w- was here in the living room yeah. watching this, and it's kind. Of, you you know me watching movies. I sometimes take my phone. Sometimes I go yeah, to yeah, it really lab. annoys me. So yeah, maybe I don't know. Anyway, so your score: uh, seven point five out of ten. So, I, I don't think this is a perfect film. Um, I know some people think it's probably, as I said, one of the best adaptations of Hannibal Lecter, etc. I haven't read the book. I don't think Brian Cox is, you know, the best representation of that character, but I do understand why people think that, etc., etc. We'll get into it. I do think, however, Michael Mann is trying interesting stuff. So, I found a quote. There's an article called uh, Horror Implied as opposed to horror explained. 
by Tim Pellin, right? It's on cinephiliaandbeyond.org. Found this last night. And it has a quote from Michael Mann, the director, and it says, Will Graham, the, dete- the detective in Manhunter, finds himself trapped, stuck to some degree in madness and nightmare. It bores me to present the events of the story in a realist style. My approach instead is to conceptualise the elements of the plot, taking into consideration the various torments of the human spirit. My aim is to exteriorise the spiritual in the expressionist manner, and this always leads me to reject realism, mm-hmm. which I love. Okay. So the film is so stylized with its blue color tint and its green color tint. Like the colors are boom in your face. Like when he phones his wife, the scene is completely blue. Oh, okay. Do you, you don't remember this? I, I do remember, this is, but this not, is one of the things. Didn't, didn't like get right, me. That's insane. One of the criticisms of the film at the time when it first came out was it's too like too much color to convey the sense of you know theme or duality or whatever. Just have it explored in your characters, but instead of just having the colour... He didn't notice it. Every time he speaks to his wife, the screen just goes blue. Okay. See, this is that how much I was involved in this it's thing. How much you weren't involved. <laughs> exactly. How did you not notice the screen was blue? Every now, single now that time. you're saying it, yes, I remember when she's asleep and he phones her. Every time. That's it. That's only the only time. When, when it's daytime, it's fine, but every time when they're separate and he phones back or talks to her, or when... But she only phones once, no? Or when... She is uh, when they're interrupted by the cops when they think they're going to get home invaded, but it's the same scene. That's not the same scene. No, no, it's all completely blue. Anyway, and every time Francis Dollarhead appears, there's a huge green tint on the film, Mm -hmm. which Michael Mann has tried to say is represented of sickness and illness, etc. I I love that stuff. Like it's so noticeable, but I I I'm I'm right into it. But what I was going to say is. In the inverse of that, I don't think the acting in this movie is big. I think everybody plays it super realistic. The film can be big and wild or whatever, but the people inside it are realistic. They talk very flat. They don't talk Oh, yeah, the loud. wife is horrible. Horrible what? actress. No, she's not. Yes, she is. She's played by Kim Grace. She's great. Who's that? Right. Anyway. But she is not bad. But what I'm saying is, like, William Peterson, who plays Will Graham, Brian Cox, oh. who plays Hannibal Lecter... They play it super Hashtag flat. Hashtag my will. No, your will, Graham, is uh, a huge dancing. Yes, oh my series. god, yes. Yeah, but that's yes. only because you think he's more attractive. No, and he's so good. He's so good. You can see he's getting sick. But and it's sick a different and, performance. Oh, it's just so good. The TV show is bigger than this. This film plays it so flat. Like, it plays it like he is a broken man. Right, we're going to get into spoilers from now on. Yeah, anyway, let's go to the plot. Enter through kitchen sliding door. Nationwide victims. Yeah, this is Will Graham of the FBI. One killer. Manhunter. Starts with Will. Well, it starts with a shot, uh, like a handheld camera home footage shot going up some stairs. That's actually really creepy. Really fucking creepy. And then into the bedroom, and then the wife wakes up. And it's all kind of jittery home footage. And you're like, holy shit, I'm assuming that is the Red Dragon. Or is the serial killer. That's the Tooth Fairy who wants to be the Red Dragon. So yeah, it starts with the serial killer Mm -hmm. recording the houses he's like broke into. Yeah, he's he's about to kill Yeah, he's about to kill someone. And then he's just like focusing on the couple that are asleep with the light on. And then eventually the wife 
wakes up and the, the light isn't on it's the light from his camera yeah it's on the light's on that's what i'm saying the yeah light but from uh, the, the light is on eventually she wakes up and that's it right that's, that's the intro so the movie is about trying to catch this serial killer by using will graham who is a super empath he is a man who can understand criminals so better than anyone it's the fbi it's the fbi so fbi having the help of Will they come to Will Graham? Yeah, that he's retired. Like, basically, we get this. We get that kind of he is really, really good. Trying, he sees things different way. That he analyzes the the crime scene with. He can think another, like a killer. Yes, he thinks like a killer. He gets involved into that, and we kind of assume like, okay, he got into troubles the last time he was doing this. He kind of retired. But it is like, we need you in this case. So that's basically the plot of the movie. Yes. and he, Trying to catch. He doesn't necessarily want to go back, but they know he'll say yes once they show him the photos of the families. Mm-hmm. Like he is too, like his, you know, his sense of morality will overcome his own thoughts of this could break me. Mm-hmm. And they show him the photos of the family. Like they, they, Like Jack Crawford basically manipulates him to come back. Jack Crawford is like... Um... He's the FBI you know, head, head you know, the yeah. crimes division or whatever. Yes. So, Graham decides that he's going to visit the crime scene and he's, yeah, he's going to come back, basically. That is the setup to the story. Mm-hmm. The other main characters that evolve around are Freddie Lowndes, who is a journalist for the Tattler. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean... What do you mean? Uh, yeah, fair enough. Freddie Lowndes is a huge part of the story. Takes photos, published like um, shit stories about yes. the police, like not doing the right job or whatever, whatever, and it gets caught at some point. But I don't think it's. If you take away that character, it doesn't impact the story. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Well, how do they? How do they? How do they lure the tooth fairy out into the world then? If they don't have Freddie Lowndes. But you can have another, any Right, so you need that character. Because that character dies at the end. It's not like, oh, you're going to go to the world and say this. No, no, nothing happens. It dies. (laughs) Yes, but it's still a huge part of the story. I know, but it could happen to a normal person. The the Tooth Fairy could get someone else and do exactly the same. No, because the Tooth Fairy doesn't kill people in that manner. The reason they kill Freddie Lowndes in that manner is because Freddie Lowndes has embarrassed him in a national magazine or paper the tattler the, the tooth fairy kills families yes yeah and puts mirrors on their eyes because he's all obsessed with transformation and how they see him quote unquote but freddie Lowndes embarrasses him to the point where he rejects his like modus operandi i think you would call it and um you know and and and, and he shows freddie Lowndes like his work before burning him alive completely different to how he's done any other serial killing you know previous i don't know maybe i just get the idea it's killing is killing so but the, the 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 thing is the tooth fairy is is attacking or it could be seen to be attacking the american dream you know the nuclear family he kills parents he kills children he, he kills he kills basically you know the suburbs yeah that's what his attack is Freddie Lowndes doesn't fit into that and yet he humiliates and tortures Freddie Lowndes you know in the most public way at this it, it turns out mm-hmm. 
because of what Freddie Lowndes has said to him. A normal person wouldn't experience that situation. A normal person might get killed by the Red Dragon or Tooth Fairy, but not because of what happens. I think Freddie Lowndes is a huge part of the story. So yeah, I think we need to explain why we're saying Red Dragon, Tooth Fairy. So the first name this serial killer gets is Tooth Fairy. That's what the press yeah, and the, the press. police call them. He wants to be called yes. Red Dragon. After the painting by William Blake. I don't know who he is, but okay. He painted it. It's a real painting. I know, I'm just yeah. saying. Like, I don't know who That's he is. A, that, yes, and he thinks that the Red Dragon is some sort of like connected to him and he wants to evolve into it. It's all about transformation. You know, yeah. how can the killer become something more than a man, etc, etc. He's insane. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he is insane. Um, but the, the I was surprised how little he's in the first hour or so of this movie. In fact, he's not. How long is this movie? Two hours. This movie is. I think it's two it hours. You. 120 minutes. Yeah, it's two hours. The Tooth Fairy does not appear for at least the first hour. I can't remember exactly the point where he appears, but no. it's The movie is Will Graham, Will Graham, Will Graham, getting back into the headspace of what needs to happen to catch yeah. this killer. And to do that, he has to go and visit his most recent prisoner, the mm-hmm. one that caused him to go to leave it. Like, he got too deep, he got hurt mentally, he got hurt physically. When he caught... One Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. That's the same atrocious aftershave you wore in court three years ago. Yeah, I keep getting it for Christmas. <sighs> you got my card? I got it, thank you. And how is Officer Stewart? The one who was first to see my basement. Stewart's fine. Emotional problems I hear. Do you have any problems, Will? Now, Hannibal Lecter, for some reason in this movie, they spelled Lecter with a K. They added a K into the name. There, I cannot find any reasons to why they did that. It's just maybe the rights? Nope. Apparently, they had the rights to the name Hannibal Lecter. The, the De Laurentiis company had the rights to the name Hannibal Lecter. They gave it to Orion for Sansa Lambs for free. Or maybe they, na- they needed to pay something. It was more expensive to call it with the No, scene. because they had... The, they had in Hannibal, the film with Anthony Hopkins, it's produced by De Laurentiis Company again, it's spelled correctly. I, cou- I couldn't find any reason as to why they changed it. It's just a mistake, or it's like um hysteric. It, it, yeah, it's a historic moment. So, um, it's played by Brian Cox, famous Scotsman, and I was always aware of this. People have said like it's a, it's like a fun pub question. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, who was the first person to play Han- uh, Hannibal Lecter? And yeah. most people were like, oh, Anthony Hopkins. And the answer's obviously Brian Cox. I was always aware of that. Again, I didn't as I know say, he was Scottish. Yeah, I think he's from Dundee. I can I can get it for you. Yeah, I, no need. Thank you. <laughs> really? You don't care? I want to know. He's um, from Dundee, according to Wikipedia. There you go. So, yes. So, I love this scene. And this is the complete opposite of what we're going to talk about with Anthony Hopkins. Okay. The complete. I love how this one character who's just... A guy who eats people who he thinks are rude. Mm-hmm. That's essentially his, you know, his thing. Can be, you know, interpreted in a different way. Like, this is a completely different performance from Anthony Hopkins. Which is a completely different performance from uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. Brian Cox plays it super, super straight. He said he based it on Peter Manuel, who was a Glaswegian serial killer from like the 50s. Okay. Which is just... This is just a guy. Like, he's not the devil. Like, Anthony Hopkins is more operatic and Mads Mikkelsen tried to play him as the devil 
He's like, no, he's a man. He's just the most evil man you could ever meet. Mm-hmm. So the first thing he does, Will Graham goes in and he just immediately, that's the same uh, atrocious aftershave you wore in court three years ago. Like, he just immediately like you, yeah, you humiliate can, him. Yeah, you can pick him. You can tell he's super smart and he can read you. Yeah, he, yeah don't let him inside your head because he can read you. Yeah. And he immediately figures Will Graham out, which is, you're not here for my help. You're here to get the scent back. You're here to, to, to think like a killer again. You just want a conversation with me to get how I think mm-hmm. so you can get into that, you know, mindset before you go off and die. Like, you don't need my help. And he immediately calls this out on him. And Will Graham basically, at the end of the scene, panics because he knows Lecter's, like, we've been here for five minutes and he's already unpackaged me. He's figured me out. Yeah, he knows the game. And that's what I like about... And, and Will Graham is freaked and he bangs on the door like he runs out of the room. I like the, that about this Hannibal and the Hannibal in the next movie. They're totally different. No, but I like that they, 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 they're more like players. They know the game. Yeah. They, that Matt Mikkelsen mm-hmm. is more like relaxed. He's just looking mm-hmm. what's going on, moving pieces. Yeah. But he's not like trying to... like play mind games with you and this one's I think that is playing quite... mind games no but this one no but this one's is more there like yeah because they're like prison. reading you like that's because they like, get nowhere oh, else to you, go oh tell me more about your uh, when you were a kid oh what happened your parents oh this oh you're wearing that why what did you decide to wear that oh what you know yeah. it's more like up there like look at that but probably again it's because it's a movie and you need a you pass need a pass right. like personality yeah. check yeah. done in the TV, TV show, show, you like evolve, it evolve, and evolve, it. and then yeah. you are discovering a little piece here, a little piece over there, and then you're just like, okay, fair enough. So I love this scene. Like it's so white, uh, and it's just that, and you know, you get some great lines, like you know, when Will Graham says, "Like I know I'm not as smart as you," and then he goes, "Well, how did you catch me? You had disadvantages. What disadvantages? You're insane." I, I'd like everything about that is just great, <laughs> and both of them play it so flat. Like, it's just two people speaking to each other, but one of them is just there to try and, you know, basically expand a little bit to, 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 to get back in that mindset, as I said, and the other one knows it immediately. He's like, that's why you're here. You don't need my help. And that yeah. causes him to freak out. Yeah. And he, he panics and he Too runs out of the fuel. building. Yeah, basically, like, I can't believe, like, it's taken, you know, all of five minutes for him to figure out my entire deal and he's not seen me in three years. Mm-hmm. He's figured out I've got a wife and kids. He's like, like, like this guy just... Boom, I've got you wrapped up in a, you know, a nice little bow. I've figured you out. And Will Graham runs out and is photographed by uh, Freddie Lowndes. And then that's when he's embarrassed publicly because it's like, oh, the FBI is visiting his old friend again. Yeah. Uh, And that's the thing. This film is about a cop who is afraid of his own internal psyche. Mm -hmm. Because he knows if he goes too deep, he's not coming back. Which is something the show explores to the point where at the end of the show, if we got a season four, I'm fully convinced Will Graham is going to be a bad guy in season four. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. I mean, you can't avoid your nature. Exactly. Well, you 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 can't avoid your nature unless you just stay away from it. Yeah. Like, if but, you're... But he knows what he has. If he's going to be in this world, this crime scenario, it's, it's going to come back to that. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what we're getting... Then, after a couple of more scenes, whatever, we get to 
the Tooth Fairy. Well, what I like, another scene that I like is in this one. I'm confusing already movies because we watched the other one. We watched Science of the Lambs um, not long after that scene. He gets a phone call. He, he, gets a, he is allowed to get a phone call. That's in both. Oh, no, that's in this one and the And TV this one is yeah. when he gets like a little piece chewing of... Gum. Chew, yeah, yeah, chewing gums. Yeah, chewing gums, aluminum. And puts it there, and then somehow it gets transferred to a library or it's something. Sh- no, it short signals the system. Like, yeah. so the, the phone hangs up. Yeah. And if you just leave it on long enough, certainly back then, I don't know about now, uh, the phone signal, it rings an operator. Mm-hmm. Oh, like okay. A, like, you and know he... where uh, Mrs. Maisel works? Oh, Phones yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then he says, hi, operator, I don't have the use of my arms. Yes. So I can't dial. Can you please connect me to and then, this office? Yes, and then eventually he gets... William um, address, home address. Yeah, he gets Bob And it's address. amazing. I, I love I love the part. And he eats like, the chewing gum. Oh, oh my God. I'm like, he's so calm about it. Yeah. Just manipulating people, fucking with people. Love that. Yeah, Hannibal Lecter doesn't care. And that's it. We don't get any more Lecter. Hannibal Lecter's in this movie for maybe 10 minutes. Yeah, and uh, that's it. And Michael Mann has said, like, he kind of wanted people to be like, who was that? I need more of that person. Yeah. Rather than give them too much. Which is crazy to think. Like, there's only been one book at this point, and this is the film. Mm-hmm. You know, Science of the Lambs doesn't exist. It's crazy to think people who hadn't read the book would come out of this not knowing that Hannibal Lecter is going to be this big thing. Because he's not the main story. Mm-hmm. That's just crazy to me to think that. But anyway, we then move to the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, the Tooth Fairy. He's Played creepy. by Tom Noonan. Creepy, right? creepy. Huge guy. I Six s- foot seven or something. I said to you... Did he play the Medeiros girl from Rick? Because it could be. Yeah. So, he originally Rick. researched other serial killers, but decided that was too disgusting. Like, I uh, can't do that. So instead, he decided to play it as if he was just, he felt that's all he could do for these people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's more sad than scary. Yeah. Like, I feel like his pain watching him, like, his face is always tripping him. Like, his face is always so sad. Yeah, it is. Which is something that, and he's creepy also. The TV series and Red Dragon, they, they differ, they're like, we should make the Red Dragon scary. Whereas I think in this one, it's they kind of make him sad. He just yeah. doesn't know any other way. Um, and another thing he said when he got hired in his audition, the person he was auditioning with mm-hmm. started to get scared by him and he decided to lean into it, like scare her more. Oh, and God. that's how he got the film. Was like, he was like, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm going to go more into this. So we see him basically, he is a huge tall man and he perceives at least that he is in some way disfigured. But nobody really cares about it, but he thinks that people do, which is why, yeah. you know, it's all about transformation and how people perceive him. He falls in love with a blind woman, Reba. Perfect, perfect love. Yeah. She can't see him. Boom. All things are good. But she's nice to him, whereas people aren't necessarily rude to him. Yeah. And they don't avoid him. It seems that he avoids people more than they avoid him. Yeah, because... So they're just willing, like, oh, he doesn't want to be in our conversation? Fine, just leave, like, let him do what he wants. Like, he's aware of himself, and it's like, okay, they're judging me. No, pe- people isn't judging you. Yeah, they're not even are... looking at you. Like, But he founds this woman that yes. is blind, and like, okay, she's not judging me, so I can approach her. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, he feels... I, I think they're... I feel like, oh, that's nice. I feel nice for him. Then. Yes. Like, oh my God, like, it's like, he's feeling happy. He doesn't need to kill anymore, maybe. But that's the thing. It's like, it's, he's now fighting against his nature. So it's it's yeah. a story of two addicts. It's Will Graham, 
who who knows he has an addiction but has to go into it if he's going to catch this guy and it's uh, Francis Dollarhide, the Tooth Fairy of the Red Dragon, who has this addiction that he is trying desperately to stop but mm-hmm. can't. He has found a way out but he, he can't quite bring himself to stop. And essentially we are led down the path and skipping through the entire second hour of this movie. So skipping through like a lot of the film, we're coming to basically the big shoot at the end, which is that uh, Francis Dollarhide, the Tooth Fairy, the Red Dragon, as he is called various times, he finally thinks that Reba is cheating on him, but she's not. The blind woman. Yes, the blind woman Reba. She is driven home by their boss. They both work in the same place, mm-hmm. which is like a photograph producing, you know, home video project. Like, you know, you That's used where... to take yeah. videos and stuff to them and they would produce it for you. That's how he finds the families. Because mm-hmm. he, he has seen all their home videos, uh, which is something Will Graham finds out by just thinking, like, you've seen these videos before, haven't you? Like, as he's talking to himself. Mm-hmm. And that's how he figures out who he is. He sees the boss taking uh, Reba home, and the boss takes something out of Reba's hair, which we then get from Francis Dollarhide's perspective. And it looks like a love scene, basically. It's got a big glowing backlight. It looks super romantic. There's this cheesy 80s music is playing, as Zizella says. Yes. But that's not what's happening. It's just, it's just he, laughing the he hair. He doesn't know, basically, how to interact with people and how other people interact with other people. He assumes this slight to be, like, the most degrading humiliation. Mm-hmm. And, as a result, is kid- kidnaps Reba. This is after he's killed Freddie Lowndes. I'm not going to go into that too much, because we already mentioned it at the start. Burns him alive, etc. But... When he kidnaps Reba, the police have already figured out who he is. They're on their way. And it gets to the point where they're outside the house and Will Graham starts to approach and is told over the walkie-talkie, like, don't go in. Like, wait till the SWAT team comes. Yeah. But he can't help himself. Now, I'm not sure exactly how to interpret this. The two ways are, one, he thinks by killing Francis Dollarhide and saving this woman that that will... Uh, eradicate this part of his own psyche, his own Mm -hmm. mentality. Or two, he is so deep into his own murderous mindset that he needs to kill someone and so is going to use that to kill Francis Dollarhide. Because he needs to kill Francis Dollarhide. It's one of those two. You don't think it's either one? Because he just doesn't listen to anyone's instructions. I just think he wants to save the woman because right. you see from outside yeah. that she, he's about to attack her. Right. It is like, oh, if I don't do anything, if I wait more, yeah. this actually could happen. So, But that's the assumption that Will Graham is a morally upstanding citizen. Yeah. But that's not the Will Graham character. The Will Graham character is that he is so twisted in both sides. Yeah, but we don't get that in this movie. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. No, we don't. I I didn't get that. Oh my God. He sits and stares at a home video of of, uh, murdered people. Then we have, you know the shot, you know the shot at the start of the movie we talked about? Uh We have that exact same shot when he goes to experience the house. When Will Graham goes to the house to see the crime scene. That's the shot we get. It's the same as when Francis Dollarhide entered the house is now Will Graham entered the house the same way. And it's the, the film is begging you to draw a line between the two and say, these people are not the same, but similar. 
And then he has the nightmare where he sees the murdered family and they've got the mirror all over their eyes and she looks at him. No, the I film d- is asking you to say this guy's gone deep and his mind is fucked. No, I just think he's doing his job and like sometimes I go to sleep and in my dream I'm like, oh, I need to make a payment tomorrow. I didn't move this cash to this account. And I, I just dream about my job. It's what he does. He just gets like it's obviously if you keep watching these things you're mm-hmm. gonna dream about it it's no i didn't get that he's so into it is that yes you are into the case but it's not affecting you your life what? You, look at his performance his, his his head looks like it's about to explode no, but he's not being like acting different with people he's not being different with the wife he's still trying he's to protect them like he, not really. No, he's not. How is he trying? How is he trying? Wait, to he them? phones to see if they're okay. Like, oh my god, are that's, you there? Yeah, but like, that's bef- and that's before. No, th- no, he phones to see if she's okay before he goes to stare at the videotapes one more time, like the and figure it out. It's basically like a goodbye. Like I'm about to go deep. Like I'm not going to be Will Graham when I come back. Mm-hmm. And then boom, goodbye. Hangs up the phone and then he goes and watches the home video and that's when he figures it all out. It's like, right, I don't have to think about the safety of my family anymore. I don't have to think about loving my family anymore. I can be this guy. And he's like, right, you had bolt cars. You had this. You had that. And he just figures it all out. Because he he's now in the mindset of a killer. What would I do? What? You've seen these tapes before, haven't you? What? What? I don't know. I just feel like, okay, he knows. He, he's Yes, he's putting the tape off the killer. Mm-hmm. But it's not like affecting him. I think. I'm blown away. What? Like, I think that. William Peterson in this movie is a broken man from the start. And gets more broken as it goes on. No, because he looks happy at the start. No, he doesn't. With his family. What? The very first scene is him sitting on a branch with uh, Jack Crawford all sitting in the Deciding if he wants to go back to that. Watch that and tell me that's a happy man happy with his life. He's He's so hunched over. As he's looking at the photos, and he's not even looking at Jack Crawford. They're facing away because from each Because he knows other. what he's going to ask him. And he doesn't want it, because he's broken and sad, and he no. knows that's going to fuck him up even more. No, he's not. He has a family. Like a, exactly, he, he doesn't want to nice, risk it. In a nice place with the beach, and he's like, oh my god, I know what you're going to ask me, and I know I'm the only one that can help you. Yes. But it's not worry like, oh... I'm already sad. Like, no, you're gonna make he's me not maybe sad. sad. He's broken, and he knows that this is gonna this is gonna worm its way in and pry that crack right open. Oh, no, I didn't get that. Wow, <laughs> that is entirely the film. To me, to me, this is a movie of like a happy this... man solving a crime. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's about. Th- it's not that handsome. This I said guy. happy. Oh, I don't handsome. No, like about this guy. That has a superpower yeah. that can get into the mind of serial killers or killers, whatever. It can help you to do, but it goes deep into yeah. that. He becomes that, but then that's it. Like it, he has the superpower, but it, his family life, his like his persona is fine. It just has a superpower that if he has this thing that can help you to solve crimes. I disagree. I feel like he is a broken man. Oh, no, I didn't. I think you get that because of the show and the other movies. I just no. that. No, absolutely I not. Did, I didn't I get that. I think the problem with the show is that we see... Like, Will Graham should be dead in the show. Like, Will Graham should not exist. This is a super realistic approach to that, I think. I love the show, but the show is so operatic. And also, another problem with the show is that 
because we've seen them solve crimes like this in season one and two, how is he not able to solve this one? How does he not know who the Red Dragon is? Whereas in this one, it explains, oh, he's been out of the game for a couple of years. He has to go to Hannibal Lecter. And then, when you, as I say, like in that scene, he panics immediately and runs out of the room, basically. He bangs on the door and runs out of the room. He has to run out. He has a panic attack. Yeah. This guy is fucked. That's, that's that basically what it. I think they're going for, and that's what I get. So he crashes through the, uh, the window. Yeah. And is disarmed immediately. It's so funny that crash is kind of like a typical cop, yeah. like uh, action. Because that's scene. what I mean. Like he can't help himself. He has to save this woman, or he has to kill Francis Dollarhide. It's one of the two. That's what I took it as. I was like, shit. I don't know which side of the fence I fall on. You know what? This scene reminds me of. Yeah. The episode on a Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. When they're like, okay, we need to break into the into into the house through the windows, and we need to say this catchphrase. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh my god, it's, it, that, I was laughing at that scene. I was like, oh my oh, god. I think it's a great scene, and he's thrown. He's immediately disarmed, and in the background, or in fact, it becomes it becomes the score of the movie is Iron Butterflies in Agada da Vida, right? Okay. Which to me, I've always associated that song with evil. I love that song, but it's always sounded evil. In I my never head. heard that song. Before. Have you not seen the Simpsons episode where Bart hands out the the hymn sheets? No. And he's changed it, and it's in the Garden of Eden, honey. And they all sing it. The whole song, the whole church sings it. No, I haven't. And then seen Reverend Lovejoy, it goes, hey, "Wait a minute, this sounds like rock and or roll." And they're all singing it. And Homer says to Marge, remember when we used to make out to this hymn? Because it's not a hymn, it's a rock song. But it's called Enagada da Vida oh, in the Garden of Eden. There you go, know. I never heard It's always sounded evil to me. And so it's perfect for that. And also it was chosen because Michael Mann spoke with a serial killer who was in prison in the making of this film mm-hmm. and production. And he explained to him that he was obsessed with this woman and believed that that song, Enagada da Vida, was their song. But this woman never knew him. And every time he saw her, he would hear this song. And so man was like, boom, that's the big song in the closing of this film. And so the police all break in then because they follow Will Graham's lead. Uh And you get this super stylized uh, sequence where cops are killed because of Will Graham. Will Graham fucks up. Cops are killed. And the movie, basically, it jumps every time there is a shot fired. Like, it jump cuts or the frame rate yeah. changes. And it's so weird. I love it. Because it makes you notice, like, you are no longer in movie land where a gunshot is fired and somebody falls back. And a gunshot... And, like, it makes you notice, holy shit, people are dying here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're not. Yeah, I, I get that. Because get that. it's so noticeable. It's like, yeah. you want you to... How different this is from normal action scene language. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Where you're like, wow, wow. Like, you notice it every cut, everything. I love it. But they are, they manage to disarm and kill Francis Dollarhide. Yeah. The day is saved, and Will Graham gets to go home to his family. Yeah, and the one, this is a, a part that it was so funny. The wife's asking, like, oh, will I get you catch him or something? And yeah, yeah. And it's like, how many lives were lost? And then he's like, a few. And I'm like, a few! Yeah, like, because of him. I know, and I, but he just says, like, oh, yeah, a few. He's <laughs> like, ah, oh, g- g- give me a cup of coffee, please. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Fair enough. 
I mean, don't you think that is, was kind of weird when kids just are like, the end you. scene is and then bit, the happy like walking on the beach. I, I'm not a big fan of the end scene, the very end scene, because as I say, it does feel like Will Graham just gets to go home and all is well. Because it's my theory, because no, he's not that bad. No, that doesn't fit with the movie. That's why I don't really like the end so much. Maybe. I so don't that know. is Manhunter. Yes. Do Is there any deaths, really, in the film? Just don't waste, people. It's your favourite death. Oh, I know my favorite death. Freddie Lounge, the wheelchair on fire. Yeah. Has to be. I'll take that one too. Yeah, that has to be the best death in the movie. It's it's so iconic. Yeah. So that is Hannibal Lecter's first appearance on film. It's Manhunter. I hope you've seen it. If you've not, I'd recommend you check it out. It's so different from the TV show. It's so different from Science of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. It's worth looking into. And Brian Cox is a great Hannibal Lecter He's for good. all that he doesn't appear anymore. He has two scenes and he nails both of them. Love them. Yeah, he's good. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Probably he's my favourite character in this movie. And it's only like five minutes. In yeah, total. maybe. I'd say maybe. Um, but yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, so thank so. you for listening. We'll be back next time with Sansa Lambs. El which, Silencio de los Inocentes. Which you've all seen, probably. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Delani Salmia for our artwork. Yeah, it was it was still so good. So. <laughs> eh, gracias por escucharnos y hasta la próxima. Bye.